Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And as always, thank you, Rachel. Always appreciate her good work and kindly introducing us as we enter into yet another a time together here in In All Things. In All Things is a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, as Rachel has told you, and and you probably are familiar, of course, with that statement, oftentimes attributed to St. Augustine, although there's a lot of debate over that, but it's a statement that has become the motto, really, of the EPC, and that is in the essentials unity and the non-essentials liberty, but in all things, in all things love. For this podcast, we really base that idea of all things, particularly all things EPC, on Colossians 1, where we realize all things are made by him, for him, and through him, and in him all things hold together, who is the head of the body of the church, which is Jesus Christ. And and we cover all manner of things. If you've been following this podcast for some time, you know that we started by um, profiling a number of our staff in the office of the General Assembly, not only what they do and who they are, but ways in which they serve a larger denomination. And if you're not caught up on those podcasts, it'd be worthwhile to go back and do so. Of course, the great thing about a podcast is you can listen to it as you're driving to work. I frequently listen to one or two as I drive to work in the morning, or maybe as you're working out or going for a long walk with your dog through the neighborhood or something like that. There's just a lot of convenient places where you can get caught up on some content that's really going to be a blessing to you, which we hope this time together will be. We also, in more recent times, have been trying to add into some of our podcast conversations with different authors in the EPC, and that is actually the conversation we're going to have today, and I think it's a particular book that I would encourage everybody to read, and I think uh, in the times in which we live, they'll find it to be encouraging and helpful and really, really insightful But we're also going to be expanding our podcast to do some best practices uh, down the road where we find a congregation or a presbytery or perhaps even an individual who has figured something out that the rest of us haven't figured out yet and the rest of us could benefit from their having figured it out. This will be kind of our own formal uh, networking place to do that. And the ways in which those uh, pieces of information get shared, and I want to encourage you to explore this a little bit, because we all live in our, our little worlds where we kind of get used to certain things and we don't stretch out beyond where we've been. And frequently I'll have people say to me, well, I, I didn't know you had that opportunity or that that service. And I, I scratch my head because I think, my goodness, we communicate that out in so many ways. And yet there's a lot of ways perhaps that you're unfamiliar. This particular podcast uh, drops every Friday is what our goal is. And it is first broadcast out there through something called EP Connection. And EP Connection is basically our EPC news and information service. So, um, in fact, several times a week, Brian Smith, our Director of Communications and Digital Strategies, will drop information there, sometimes articles, sometimes a video, and of course, every Friday, this podcast. And they're really interesting 
pieces about the life of the EPC. Um, a recent article about a chaplain in the uh, U.S. military who had their position extended because, well, they just needed to. <laughs> and it's a fascinating story, too. Interesting stories about a, a brewery that is now a church and a brewery together in Texas. There's all kind of interesting stories there. And Brian posts those things on all of our different social media channels. And you probably want to look up epconnection.org. That's kind of the one-stop shopping where a lot of that information drops. If you don't have that bookmarked, you might consider doing that. So link to it on our webpage, epc.org. But it might be easier if you just bookmarked epconnection.org. And there you will get all the latest and greatest news that is fit to print for the EPC, including every Friday a drop of this podcast. So there's our cheap commercial announcement for all things communications in the EPC. Well, let's turn our attention to our guest today. I'm excited to be sitting across the table from someone who, he's just, well, he's probably just like the nicest person on the planet. I, I don't, I think if there was like a nicest person award, this guy would be in the running, if not running away with it. He is a longtime part of the EPC family. He's a teaching elder. But for today's purposes, we're not going to actually use his given name, the name his mother calls him when she's mad at him or his wife calls him. This is going to be a, the use of a, of a pseudonym today because he has written a book that required him to be anonymous or to take a pseudonym in writing of the book because of the delicate nature of the topic. And the title of the book is called Loving Your Muslim Neighbor, Stories of God Using an Unlikely Couple to Love Muslim People and How He Might Use You to Do the Same. The author of that book is Timothy and Miriam Harris, and we're very excited to have Timothy here in the studio today, which of course is not your real name, but I'm going to have to really concentrate all this time to make sure I call you Tim or Timothy. So Tim, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you for having me. Pleased to be here. Really excited. Well, it's a delight to have you here, and I know that we have had you to the church where I was privileged to serve for uh, a long period of time. And you came and did a seminar on this very topic. And it was compelling. It was ironic. Uh, it was biblical. It was pastoral, encouraging. Our congregation loved it. And it was a great resource. And gosh, I wish I wish you were, you were used by why all 637 congregations had you out to share what you shared with us that day. And I wonder, Tim, if you could tell us what led you to write this book? Like what in the seminars that you lead and the book that you've written, what has brought you to this point where this is the passion that God has placed on your heart? Wonderful question. So maybe I should back up a little bit. As you said, I was a pastor for many years, served in various capacities in pastoral roles in California in Colorado, New Mexico, and Michigan. Really felt that I had gotten a call to missions and evangelism when I was a senior in college. That was 1977. But God just always had me in these pastoral roles in churches throughout the years. But every time I would go on some kind of short-term mission trip, my heart just like, I just felt like, God, this is what you made me for. But still, he kept me in those pastoral roles until leading up to 2006, when I found myself being a very burnt-out 
pastor. And, and I think a lot of the reason for it was I felt like I was a, I felt like I was a missionary trapped in a pastor's body and I didn't know how to get out. And I was just so frustrated with God. I felt like, God, you called me so many years ago, but I don't see, I don't see the place where you want me. And so I told my elders, I said, guys, I need a sabbatical. I need 10 weeks minimum. I've got to figure this thing out. You guys know my heart. You know me. I don't want to leave this church. I've been here 13 years, but I just have to figure this missions thing out for my life. So they granted me that sabbatical, and it turned out that— I'm just curious, uh, Tim— how did Miriam, was this a surprise? This probably wasn't a surprise no. to Miriam at all. She no. she knew this was coming. This didn't catch her off guard. And no. she was supportive of the sabbatical. And, and Absolutely. Okay. She was like, I'm tired of hearing about it. <laughs> get it get it solved. Do man. something get, about it. Do something about this. I don't want to hear any more about it. So, But what happened, Dean, was that right before that sabbatical, something came across my desk it was a flyer about a conference, a seminar, four-day conference in Dearborn, Michigan, which is a highly Arab Muslim area. But there was a conference at a church there on how to reach out to Muslim people with the gospel. Now, what year is this again? That was 2006. So this is after 9-11. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and, and so you have all of this sort of maybe fear or prejudice that a lot of people have about people from the Arab world in particular, <laughs> let yeah. alone Muslims. You know, I, I have to say that Muslims really weren't very much on my radar, even, mm-hmm. even with 9-11 in the rearview mirror at that point. They just weren't, I wasn't thinking about them. They, but this conference put them right in front of me. And it was in a Muslim neighborhood. We went Every meal, we went out to Muslim-owned and operated restaurants, had Lebanese food. And I kept seeing all these people, these, these Arab Muslim people out on the lawns in front of their houses with their kids at night. And all of these factors and the speakers at this conference, my heart was just, I don't even know to this day how to explain it, except that in that four-day conference, God put a supernatural love in my heart for Muslim people. And it's, it's never left. I went home and told Miriam, she went to part of the conference, but not all of it. And at the end, I went home and I said, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. This is a calling. This is, this is what we are supposed to do now. And her response to that was, Oh no, a midlife (laughs) crisis. Just get a convertible and get it over with. Right. Yeah. But you know, she watched me, and she saw it never left. And that's going back now uh, 16 years anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and it's still your practice. When you go to any community, especially when you do one of your seminars, you try to drag the pastor or anybody from that yep. community saying, hey, I did the research ahead of time. There's this restaurant with some uh, Arab uh, yep. community and, and yep. some Muslims, and you, you take people there, and you get yourself some good food and you strike up the conversations and you still do that to this day. Absolutely to this day. And, and even God bless my dear wife, Miriam. Uh, not only does she go to those restaurants, which now she loves, we both love the food, but I also drag her into mosques, cold Turkey. I mean, we're traveling through a city and I say, Hey, look up for me, would you? Let's see where the mosque is in this city. And she Googles (laughs) it. We find it. We go there, we walk in and, and we just greet people and love on them, hand them, you know, a card that 
speaks about our love for Muslim people just began to engage. And she's done that with me and followed me over to the Middle East, I don't know how many times, on trips. Wow. Yeah. Now, do you have uh, grown children? We do. We have three grown sons. And what are their thoughts of mom and dad taking off and going uh, to visit mosques in the Middle East? <laughs> you know, I think they they grew up the way I grew up. When, when I grew up, my mom was an evangelist. She was a hairstylist. And every woman that sat in her chair pretty much heard the gospel. And, and from when I got saved as a 10-year-old kid, I remember... I think it may have only been once or twice, but they took us out door to door witnessing with tracts. Wow. And so I grew up with that kind of atmosphere and my mom has just always had a passion for lost people. So I grew up with that. And as the boys, as our three sons, you know, grew up in our house, wherever we went, there was dad talking to somebody about Jesus. So they just, they weren't surprised, and they went with us on mission trips before I got this calling. So so you've sort of begun to answer a, another question that I was going to have for you, because I know you well over the years that you are um, you're an evangelist. You just, uh, it, it comes out of you naturally. You're highly relational. You just love people. You just love to share the good news of Jesus with people. And I was going to ask you, you know, have you always been wired this way? <laughs> Is this something you learned? But it sounds like you kind of grew up with it and maybe you inherited it. I think, I think it's a combination of all the above. I definitely saw my mom who modeled it all the time. But I also know that it's just something that, you know, it just, I cry even thinking about it. It's just, you know, thinking about hell, it just hurts. And so well, let's, I don't want anybody to go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, that's why I love your heart so much, Tim. Oh, thank um, you. So let's drill down on something you just said a second ago. You said you saw it modeled. You know, uh, there are different gifts, obviously, uh, that the, the scripture speaks of, and we don't all have them. And most of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had the ones that we don't have. Some people have the gift of hospitality. And to boil it down, not all of us have the gift of intercession, but we're all called to pray. All of us don't have the gift of being evangelists, but we're all called to witness. And I wonder if you could drill down with me a little bit for those who are listening in who say, well, I'm not an evangelist. You know, I'd, I appreciate this guy that he has his heart, but that's just not me. If you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you supposed to be a witness with your, not just your life, but also with your lips? Boy, absolutely. And, and, and I understand that, you know, people do compliment me on, on reaching out to people. I, I really have to say, as I said to you the other night, I can't, I can't take any credit for it. It's just, it's in me, right? It right. just, it comes out naturally. And I always try to tell people to listen, please don't confuse extrovertism, if that's a word, with evangelism. I, I'm an extrovert. I love people. I like being with people. And so it's not hard for me to get into conversations with people just at the drop of a hat and then go from there to the gospel because of this love for the lost that, that God's put in me. But but I want to encourage people, if, if they're quieter, like my wife is, that doesn't mean that they can have any less impact you know, we're all called, as you said, to witness. And, and I even think some of the quietest people I know, if they found a movie they like, 
they talk about it. If they find a restaurant they like, they talk about it. Well, we shouldn't be shy about Jesus and telling people about him. And then I think of guys in the church, men who might be listening to this podcast, I think, you know, I know so many men that are into sports like you and me. And man, I know if I'm in their living room and they're watching their favorite team, whatever sport it is, they are excited, they're verbal, they're speaking about it. And then when they're with their friends, they're talking about the game. But can we get excited about Jesus and what he's done for us? It should come out of us. One of the reasons, and I wanted to explore this a little bit, is that you saw that you saw that example in your mom. You, your formation of that is that you witnessed it firsthand, and that certainly makes a big impact. Well, what would you say to pastors who may be listening, who wish their congregation was sharing their faith, desires their congregation to be sharing their faith with their neighbors and their family members and their coworkers, in terms of this whole idea of modeling, any counsel you would give to pastors along those lines? Well, I would say that, Pastor, it starts with you. If you are living out a lifestyle that includes intentional witnessing to not yet believers, your congregation will see it. And I think that pastors need to set aside intentional time in their schedules. I know a pastor, in, EPC pastor in Colorado, and he, he has his staff. He wants them to have so many hours per week with unbelievers as part even of their church time. And I think, wow, you talk about modeling. But if a pastor doesn't feel himself that he has a quote-unquote gift of evangelism, but he himself knows he's called a witness, and he himself doesn't really know how, he needs to find somebody who does. Go with them, hang out with them, watch how they do it, and then learn from them, and then find a tool. Find a tool like the three circles, which is an amazing tool. Well, that gives away. We're meeting with a group of stakeholders from around our denomination who are beginning to learn not only the central place that evangelism has in our denomination, it's the the first word in our name (laughs) to begin with, but it's our history, it's why we were founded, all of those kind of things, and we may unpack that more at a later date, but we're actually learning a tool that we hope will be contextualized for the EPC where it can be used in everybody, especially those who just have no idea how to share their faith and are intimidated to do so, would have this very easy tool that would help everybody to, to have that opportunity if the Lord opens the door, which he oftentimes does. Yeah, I just long for pastors, going back to that for a moment, I long for pastors to, to be able to gain more and more of God's heart for lost people. And if they get that, if they get some of that heart, they will convey it to their people. And we'll see this wonderful movement within our denomination. It's just a, a fire And when you're sharing Jesus with people, it does something for your spiritual life. It's this amazing cause and effect. Well, let's dig into the book a little bit. All right. right? So we've been talking about your call, and we've been talking about your gifting in evangelism and all of us being witnesses. And you have this particular passion for bringing the good news of Jesus to people from Muslim backgrounds. And so is there a particular 
story in the book that you could lift out for us that you would want to highlight that might incite people to say, gosh, I want to read more about that? You know, I'll start with the I'll start with the very first story of the book, which is actually in the introduction, and it's about a young man. Uh, we'll call him Muhammad, <laughs> pretty safe uh, name, most common name in the world, actually. So, Muhammad, we go Christmas caroling in the Muslim neighborhoods of Dearborn, Michigan, every year. It's just a blast. A bunch of Christians. We go door to door. We go to businesses. One Christmas, it was particularly warm. We were out caroling. We walked up to this home, and they had their garage door up, and they actually had couches and stuff. They used it as kind of an extra room. And as the Muslim woman who was covered, she was wearing her headscarf, her hijab, she saw us walking up. We're singing. Our guitar player is is playing. And we see her start to cry. And I'm thinking, are we that bad, right? (laughs) Or what's going on here? Because I know Muslims don't traditionally celebrate Christmas, but still, what's this reaction? So we went up to her, and, and she so kindly invited us in. And then they began to give us drinks and sweets and everything. And we found out why she was crying. Her, her uh, 18-year-old son had cancer. He had lymphoma. He'd been battling it for a year, and he just wasn't doing well. And, and when she heard us sing something, the Holy Spirit touched her in some way. And so we asked her there if we could pray for him, and we did, and he accepted it. We came back to that same house a year later. He wasn't there, and I thought, oh, no, has he passed away? But he was in the hospital. And so I asked their permission to go see him at the hospital. And I saw him, I believe, three times before he actually died. I saw him three times. On the second visit, I said to him, Muhammad, we have a verse in the Bible where Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. And I I knocked on some surface in that room. And he said, if you open the door of your heart, I'll come in and I'll be your friend. You know? And I said, he promises he'll never leave. And I said, Muhammad, would you like to pray with me? And he just, he said, it was so sweet. He just said with his weak voice as he's slowly dying, Jesus, come into my heart. And so. That's holy ground right there. It, it was, it was. And. You know, we find that so many Christians are either angry or afraid of Muslims. But Muslims are just people, just like us. They suffer. They're made in the image of God. They're image bearers. Yeah. And they they suffer like this family. They have kids. They go to school. they, They really mostly just want to have a peaceful life. They don't want to bother you. They don't want you to bother them. And and many of them can become really good friends. And we can build that, that bridge of friendship that will withstand the weight of the gospel, you know? Build yeah. that trust. Show that compassion and concern for them as fellow image bearers. Our churches give to the General Assembly. If they don't know this, 20% of everything they give off the top goes to uh, World Outreach, which is the, the work of Jesus that we help to facilitate around the world. There's There's all kinds of ways in which when people give to the EPC, stories like the one that you just shared with Muhammad, and he prays and opens the door of his heart and Jesus enters in, that's what it's all about. That's yeah. why we're doing what we do. That's why that support is important. I've always heard 
Tim, that people don't give to organizations that have needs. They give to organizations that meet needs. And at that moment, in that hospital room with Muhammad, you are helping to meet the greatest need um, he would ever have, which is for a eternal relationship with his creator and his savior. And what, what need could be more important than yeah. that? And Piper says uh, Christians care about all kinds of suffering, but especially eternal suffering. Uh. And so in, the, in that case with Muhammad, we were, we were doing both. We were caring for him in his physical suffering and emotional suffering. He's a young kid, and he knows he's going to die. And yet we're caring about his, his eternal suffering. And, and, and we want to encourage your listeners, you know, you might be the answer to a Muslim's prayer. We, we had a guy once that we were out distributing flyers on the University of Michigan campus about an outreach that uh, a ministry was having there for international students. And I remember that hot August day, I was handing out those flyers to international students as they'd get off buses on the North Campus. And I was getting down to my last few flyers. It was so hot and humid. I knew my car was going to be ticketed. I was over time. And I just kept praying until I got to my last flyer. And I said, Lord, just give me the, just the right person for this flyer. And I look, and one of the blue Michigan buses comes, and people are getting off. And I see this student. He's a tall Arab guy, unusually tall. And I recognize immediately from being in this ministry for a while, he's a Saudi and I just shout out to him the words that Muslims say to each other, salam alaikum or as-salam alaikum. And people can pronounce it all different ways. It doesn't matter. He looks over at me, this white guy with white hair, and he's thinking, what? who is this? You know, is he a professor with his age? Is, what is he about? And I go over, I meet him. We share numbers. And we just begin to have an amazing friendship. This young man, he's uh, working on a Ph.D., We'd go out to eat a lot, and uh, I always wanted to go to Middle Eastern food, and he always wanted to go to Red Robin, because <laughs> in Saudi Arabia, where he was from, they didn't have Red Robin in his, in his particular city. So we got everything else, but we don't have Red Robin. So one time, two years into the relationship, we're sitting in Red Robin, of course, we're eating, and he said, do you remember the, the day we met? I said, I'll never forget it. I said, I've told you more than once. I was praying for whoever would get that flyer. And he said, well, I never told you, but before I got off the bus that day, I was praying that I would meet a kind American. Wow. And so I just want, you know, your listeners to hear that you could be the answer to a Muslim international student or a Muslim immigrant or a Muslim refugee, their prayer. Because when they come, they're often lonely and, you know, they've left their home, they've left their food, their family, their culture, everything. And when you show them love, man, you are going to have a door for the gospel. That's beautiful. Well, there's three things that I appreciate about your book, Tim. The first is what you've just done for us. It's filled with stories like that, that are so close to the heart of Jesus and compelling uh, that it just makes for a good read because it's got great stories in it. I mean, it's more compelling than a great story. Number two, uh, the chapters are short. <laughs> I like short chapters. I, I like feeling like, yeah, I just I just knocked off two or three more chapters. And it makes me feel good. They're bite-sized, and so you, you give us the space 
to process what we've just read. And that leads me to the third thing is that at the end of each chapter, I think you have this points to ponder where you give some people some reflection questions because the idea is to take these kind of stories, inspire people, and get them thinking about how it is that we're to be witnesses to this incredibly large group of people on the planet who are made in God's image, who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus, and then get us reflecting on how God might be inviting us into that story and perhaps even being a, an answer to somebody's prayers. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, every, yeah you're right. Every, we're so thankful. Every chapter is short, two to four pages. I mean, yeah, we know people love stories. Jesus told stories. Can I tell one more? Oh, we'd love it. Absolutely. Okay, okay, thanks so much. This is a story from overseas. We we are blessed to go to the Middle East a lot and work with uh, refugees from Syria, Iraq, and Yemen. And so we have, since the civil war in Syria that started in, I believe, 2011, we've met so many Syrian refugees, and they are broken people. They live in Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, and, and really all over, but mostly those three countries. And so when we were in one of those countries, I was introduced to a man, uh, Hassan. I was blessed with a Christian Arab NGO that we work with. The leader of that said, uh, I think, could you just share the gospel with Hassan today? And I said, I'd be glad to. And I did, but he just wasn't ready. Uh, that was in 2014. The next year, 2015, I was uh, there again doing the same kind of work with refugees. I was uh, with the man that helps to lead that NGO. And, and we looked down the sidewalk as we're actually working with some other refugees, and up walks Hassan on the sidewalk. And I said to my friend, uh, I said, he looks different. What, what is it? He said, he whispered to me, he's been born again. Mm. I said, what happened? He said, listen. Hassan told us that he was in his apartment one day. He said, I w- I'll just say it in the first person like he did. He said, I was smoking. I was depressed. I was thinking. And a bright light came into my room. And I saw a man. He said, I thought I was in another world. I saw a man, but I couldn't see his face. And he said to me, Hassan, I am the savior of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to introduce myself to you. <laughs> I mean, Hassan didn't know John 14, 6. He didn't, he'd never read that, seen it. But he, he went the next day to our, to our Christian friends, Christian Arab friends at this NGO, and he said, this is, I saw this man, and this is what he said. And, of course, they're showing him in the Bible, in the New Testament, where Jesus said these very words. And, and Hassan gave his life to the Lord. And, man, I mean... It, He's a new creation. You know, all things become new. You just look at his face. He's a different you man. Yeah. You can see it, Jesus. Oh, wow, that's awesome. His wife. His wife wasn't on board with him for years. So we would, every year when we go back, we'd go to his apartment. We'd take food like we do. We'd see what we could pray for them about. And she would always stay in another room until two years ago. And two years ago, she was with us, and she was smiling, and we said, to him, what happened? And he said, well, one night she went to do her, her normal Muslim prayer. She rolled out her rug. She was getting ready to pray, and she was getting ready to lean down, bow down, and someone grabbed her from behind like in a hug and said, don't do that anymore. 
And, and she was, it was like, it just shocked her, but it, it didn't scare her because it wasn't an unkind, it was, it was the Lord. She went to him with this and she said, I think, I think I heard the voice of Jesus. And she became interested and she was born again. And she's so different now, Dean, when you see her face, man, she glows. She just, it's a demonstrable oh, difference demonstrable of someone who's so, become the new creation. So they're both kind of examples of how many Muslims that are coming to Christ, yeah. a dream or a vision of Jesus is somehow part of that journey. So often. Yeah, so yeah. often. Well, thank you for taking the time to share that. I, I hope that our listeners are as inspired by that as I am and so grateful for you, Tim, your heart, um, that the fact the Lord called you as he has and that you have this passion for helping our congregations really love well people from Arab and Muslim backgrounds. And uh, so thank you for saying yes to serving in that way. And, and if people want to get a hold of your book, how would they do that? We have a website simply called lovingyourmuslimneighbor.com. So the title of the book, lovingyourmuslimneighbor.com, and you can order it from a variety of, of places on there. Okay, terrific. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Tim. I appreciate appreciate your time. Appreciate you being here this week and being here today with us on the podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, brother. Absolutely. My privilege. Well, my friends, it's been a rich uh, conversation today. I hope it has been a blessing to you. And if it has been a blessing to you, would you do us a favor of sharing this on your social media with others so that they could also be blessed? Because, you know, we're all blessed to be a blessing, right? And if you've been blessed by this today, maybe take the time and just hit like and share. It'll just take a few seconds and maybe that will get the word out to others as well. So we appreciate that. Well, let's uh, conclude as we always do with this reminder from God's word. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, authorities, and I would say all peoples, all. They've all been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, for he is the head of the body, the church. That is our Savior Jesus, my friends. He loves you. He loves your Muslim neighbors, and we hope that you will too. Until the next time, spread the word and come back and join us. Grace and peace to you, my friends. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.